Last week in uh, India and um, been away for 10 days, got back on Thursday night and uh, had a great time there. I think I've got a picture somewhere, I don't know if you can find it, Katisha, just of uh, uh, the conference. There you go. That's uh, Dominic and Alfred, his dad there, and then 270, 300 um, pastors and uh, leaders from churches all around Tamil Nadu. So we had a great time together and uh, we bring them all together. We pay. Some of us have, uh, some of you have given me money and uh, the church has increased that just to bring this great group of people together. And, um, you know, some of them are running churches in cities, big cities with all kinds of infrastructure. Some of them are running churches in villages in the middle of nowhere where there's nobody and just Hindu temples and gods. You know, it's just amazing. So we're able to just come and share the word and uh, encourage them, see God. They're so um, kind of attentive. They listen to me for three hours. Come on, that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> so I thought you could suffer the same fate today, don't I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, we were able to share and just minister and pray to them. Just incredible to see what God's doing. Pastor Ellis, who, has, who leads this network, he's been there for 32 years. He started in this church 32 years ago, and uh, he opened his first service, and there was him and his wife and nobody else. And for two years, he preached to his wife every Sunday. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? I said to Julia, how long would you last it? Well, let's just say the church wouldn't be there today if it was me and Julia. <laughs> Two years, he just preached to his wife, and then one day somebody walked in, and that guy who walked in and got saved is still there, part of the church. Isn't that amazing? What God does, it's uh, incredible to see. And so we had a great time together, and now he's responsible for over a network of over 250 churches that look to him, 30 years of his life. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's amazing what, you know, and, uh, you know, they have nothing, you know, but they trust God. It's called Calvary Faith Mission. They trust God for everything that they have, and uh, God provides. Isn't that amazing? So we were blessed to be with them and encouraged Dom and some of the guys from Cologne were there. And we had a great time together and uh, just enjoyed it. So I just uh, thank you for your prayers and my travels, and uh, I was well and not ill, which always is helpful. Um, I did manage to fall over quite a bit. At one point, Dom was, like, holding me up going... Just walk carefully, David. I don't want to have to phone home saying you've died in the middle of a train. You know, like for goodness sake, Dom, leave me alone. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but we're in the Word this morning, and uh, we're in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. And I uh, just want to share uh, from the Word with us this morning. Um, Jonah chapter 3, we're going to read 3 and 4 just to set the context. Um, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne and took off his robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent. And with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they returned from the evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? 
This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a drama queen, eh? But the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. There's a little phrase, isn't there? God provided a worm. Do you know what I mean? Which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head. And he grew faint. He wanted to die. He said, it would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry. I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left, and also many animals. Amen. Wow, what an amazing reading. Uh, just incredible story. And um, over the next few weeks, we just want to talk a little bit about transforming lives. You know, the church is on a mission. We have to remember that today. The church is on a mission. You know, why we gather every week, why we seek to disciple people, why we seek to be in the city and uh, run the Hope Center and reach out to people's lives, it's because we're on a mission to transform the city with the love of God. That's why we're here. You know, we don't just gather because we're religious and got nothing better to do. We don't just gather because the band is sounding great, although they did sound great today. Uh, We don't just gather because it's uh, uh, something that we do by habit and by ritual. The reason we come together is because we are the church of God that exists to reach the world with the love of God. And that's why we're about, that's why we we function today, that's what we seek to do with our lives and with our circumstances. And here is this amazing story of really, uh, and I think it's probably the only biblical record of one, but it's a, a biblical account of the transformation of a city. Isn't that amazing? That the city, Nineveh, which was a famous city, which was a, it just a, like a, a normal city, it had good and bad, it had a reputation for being wicked, it had a reputation for being all kinds of stuff that went on there. The, the Lord described it as a city which didn't know its right from its left, it didn't understand its values, it didn't understand really what it should be doing. It was a city that was lost, it was a city that was far away from God and had come under his judgment, and yet God sent a prophet to speak to it and it changed everything. Wow, isn't that amazing? How many of you know God wants to use you to change the world around you? God wants to use you to transform the places where you are. See, we're all called, friends. It's not just the pastors who are called. We're all called. We're all called to speak words of life. We're all called to transform the world around us with the love of God. We're all called to bring a message of hope to the people around us. And so I love this, um, uh, uh, this, this account of Jonah because I, I kind of relate to Jonah a bit, don't you? Because God says something and I want to do exactly the opposite. Anybody else get like that? Well, God, can you not send someone else? You know, I love it when Moses, you know, God comes to Moses and sends him. And he says, oh, but Lord, I'm not very good at this. And he goes, that's all right, I'll help you. He said, oh, but God, I'm I'm not very educated. It's all right, I am educated. I can help you. Oh, God, I really, I stutter quite badly. He says, okay, I'll put words in your mouth. And then he just says, God, please get someone else to do it. 
You know, there's a bit of sympathy there in us, isn't there? Because we kind of feel that way a bit. Oh God, please don't, um, don't ask me to do it. Last time, Jonah had this incredible calling that no one else wanted. And as soon as he heard it, he tried to run away. Just like so many of us, we try to run away from the plan and purpose of God. We try to ignore it. We try and pretend it doesn't really matter to us. And he went, you know, and you know the story. He went entirely the opposite direction. And he ended up in the belly of a fish. And, and the fish spat him out. And then God said to him, go again. See, sometimes the good thing is God doesn't give up on us when we get it wrong. Aren't you glad that happens? God doesn't give up on us just because we blow it, just because we miss the purposes of God the first time around. And Jonah was reluctant to do it, but eventually he came to the city and he brought the word of the Lord to the city, which was a word of repentance, which was a word of actually God's going to judge the city. And this amazing thing happened. Everybody turned to the Lord. Wow. And I just uh, I want to pull a few things out of that because I, I, I want us to kind of think about what we can learn from this passage, what, what relates to us as we seek to live a life of, of transforming the community around us, of transforming lives, of changing our city. And um, a few things just stood out to me. Firstly is this, God's nature is the heart of our message of the gospel. This amazing little verse Jonah says to the Lord, I knew that you are, it's like almost he's accusing God of this. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I mean, that's not bad, is it? I mean, just in a few words, he summarizes the nature of God. And he does it almost in a temper. He's almost saying, why can't you just wipe these people out? Why can't you just kill them all? They deserve it. He says, but I knew that you were not like that. I knew God that you are gracious. I knew God that you are loving. I knew God. And as he walked the streets of Nineveh and brought them even a message of judgment, in his heart he thought to himself, I think God might just save these people. I love that about Jonah, that he understood something of the nature of God. I, I tell you, friends, we need to understand the goodness of God to us. We need to understand the goodness of God to people who are totally unaware of his goodness. Because that's what the Ninevites were. They heard a message of judgment, but God knew, uh, but Jonah knew that actually God didn't want to bring calamity upon people. You know, sometimes I think uh, Christians can be just like Jonah. Sometimes I think we can look at people and think, oh, you know what? They deserve to go to hell. They do. They're not very nice people, are they? Oh, I don't like them. See, that's a Jonah spirit, isn't it? What we've got to remind ourselves is actually, you know what? Those people deserve a God who is gracious. <laughs> I spent uh, last week, we went and we went around one of the big temples uh, in Trichy, where we were, a huge temple. Temple probably, I would say it was probably bigger than this block that we were in. You know, if you go up all the way to the top of uh, Curzon Street and then all the way around and all the way back down past the Padley, it was probably twice that size. Huge temple. And we walked around it, and there were people on their hands and knees trying to get, just pull themselves along the floor to get to the idols, where they could then give a sacrifice, or they could then just try and find some grace. And I thought to myself, wow, what a privilege it is to stand free in the presence of God and to worship. What a privilege it is to have a God who is gracious. Who, who, when I get it wrong, <laughs> and boy, oh boy, do I get it wrong. He, who, when I blow it, he's slow to anger, not quick. Sometimes I can be really quick to get angry. How about you? Sometimes I can just be... 
And yeah, I say to the Lord, Lord, would you be patient with me? And he says, yeah, I will. It's gracious to us because his grace overflows in our lives. And just the character of God, see, grace is the heart of God. Compassionate is because he understands who we are. He understands who we are. You know, I love that about God, that he actually knows our weakness. See, sometimes we, we don't want to admit our weakness, but God knows what we're like. He loves that about us. You know, he looks at us and he says, you know what, I understand. I sometimes come before God, God, I've... And he says, it's all right, Dave, I know. I, I know you've blown it. I know, I know, Dave, that actually you try hard, but sometimes you just miss it, don't you? He's slow to anger. You know, I, I just think we can learn something about the grace of God from that. And so God's nature is the heart of the gospel. He says he's abounding in love. He's got more than enough love for broken, rebellious people, friends. You know, it doesn't matter where we are today. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. Actually, God's abundant love can reach us and can change our lives. He says he's a God who relents from sending calamity. One of my favorite verses is in the book of Samuel when uh, uh, one of his uh, guys comes to him and says that God, he says to David, God devises ways so that people who are cut off from him can be restored to him. Don't you love that? See, that's what God's like. He devises ways. See, see, there are people all around us in the world, friends, who we think are lost, but actually God is devising ways for them to be found. God is working on it. Um, And you see, if we don't believe that, then what happens is we expect them to stay lost, whereas if we can understand the nature of God is that he's working on restoring people. There are people in your life, if, if you can look at with faith, God will restore them because he's already got a plan to restore them and he wants to use you. But if you won't be used, he'll use someone else because he's devising ways. See, and uh, that's the wonder of the gospel. God, God sent Jesus to die and he opened up a way into heaven for each one of us because it's his nature. It's his heart. But Samus said, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Isn't that an amazing thing? I don't know about you, but every time I come before the Lord, whether it's in church, whether it's at home on my own or in the car or wherever I find myself, I just remember that verse. Lord, if you kept a record of my sin, I don't think I would have much to say to you today. But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, Lord, I come boldly into your presence. Therefore, Lord, I come before you and I take hold of who you are. And it's God's nature that becomes the motivating force for the gospel in our lives. Why are we here to tell people about Jesus? One, because we've received the love of God in our lives and because his love, Paul says, his love compels me to demonstrate and to hold out the word of life to people around us. And why is it so important? Because if we understand and keep in our hearts the nature of God towards us, then we have a motivation to share the love of God with other people. If we forget about the nature of God, you know, Jesus said, didn't he? He who has been forgiven much, loves much. See, when you know you've been forgiven, when you know that you've been set free, when you know that God has dealt with your sin, when you're not concerned about the sin of other people, but you understand what God's done for you, actually you're free to love God in abundance. Because God's abundance has been on your life. God's nature is the heart of the gospel. God's love was able to change a city. His goodness and kindness towards people is stronger than the sin and the corruption that enslaves them. I want you to believe that about our city, folks. 
You know, I think we're in really encouraging days. I, I believe that we're going to see a harvest of souls in our city. I do. Come on, I'm, 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 I just believe that we've got to start to lift it up in prayer. God, we want to see. You know, too often we can just be concerned. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And so we've got to just, um, just start to see, yeah, you know, God has the power. The Bible says that having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Listen, every power that is arrayed against us today is already defeated in Jesus' name. Every principality and power that seeks to rob people of life, that seeks to blind them in life, will give way to the gospel. When the gospel comes, things change. So I want you to carry in your heart God's nature, God's heart for you. His abundant love for you overflows in your life and enables you to overflow in the life of the people around you in the situation. Second point is this. Obedience is an action. Simple point that, isn't it? It says there, beginning of chapter 3, Jonah obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh. See, obedience has to have an action to it. Have you ever noticed See, sometimes we want to obey the Lord in our heads. But sooner or later, we have to obey the Lord in our feet, and in our words, and in our actions. See, obedience is a key thing for the kingdom of God. See, see um, Jonah had a bad attitude, and he went the other way. And he could have said, okay, Lord, you're absolutely right. I need to go to Nineveh, and stayed where he was. See, sooner or later, we have to say, actually, God's spoken to me, therefore I have to obey. See, that's where faith comes in. God's told me, actually, I need to speak to this person. Therefore, I'm going to speak to him. God's told me to do this. Therefore, I'm going to do it. Obedience is an action. And sooner or later, we have to struggle with that as believers and say, Lord, what you've spoken to me, I will do. What you've said to me, I will do. Lord, it's been difficult, but actually, I'll still do it. And uh, we have to bring that attitude. Um, the Bible says to us um, in James, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. I mean, I don't want you to think about that verse too much because that's an overwhelming verse for me. If you know the good that you should do and you don't do it, then actually it's a sin. In other words, if God has prompted you or or the word has led you or you know it's the right thing to do and you say, but I don't do it, then actually you're acting in sin. Why? Because you've decided to, to have a hard heart towards the purposes of God. You've decided not to obey the purposes of God. You see, and Christianity is about responding to him. There comes a, a point that we have to become obedient to God's call upon our lives and our circumstances. Remember the story of uh, Saul when he was appointed king over Israel. And uh, Saul was given all kinds of things to do. But one of the things that he had to do was come against the enemies. And he had to kill the, the, uh, the enemies of, of the people of Israel. And also he had to slaughter the animals. That's a bit weird, isn't it? Taking out in the animals. We don't like that, do we? RSPA and all that. I mean, don't like it. But the Lord had said, we want you to slaughter everything. And Samuel came to him and he was having victory. And he had kept some of the kings alive. And he would kept back the best animals so they could have a party. And uh, Samuel came to him and said to him, what is this bleating of sheep I hear? See, we don't like it, do we, when, when all of a sudden, and, and, and Saul said to him, oh, uh, I've kept back some of the animals. And he said to him, but the Lord told you to slaughter the animals. And he said, yes, but I've just kept some back so we can, you know, honor the Lord with them. And, and, and Samuel says these amazing words to him, to obey is better than to sacrifice. In the AV it says, and, and to hearken is better than the fat of lambs. 
you on that one. To obey is better than sacrifice. In other words, he says to him, listen, the Lord isn't primarily concerned with your sacrifice. He's concerned with your obedience. See, today, one of the biggest challenges to us as we live in a worship culture is that it's easy to worship and not be obedient. Hello. It's easy to say, yes, Lord, you know, hallelujah, what's wonderful. Oh, praise the Lord. But then the Lord says, do this. And we go, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm off. See, obedience has to have it. See, and I just want to challenge us because worship does not replace obedience. See, sometimes we can do that deal, don't can't we, in our own lives. Well, it's great to worship the Lord. Oh, everything's down to how we worship. Friends, worship is only valid if there's obedience with it. The Lord once said to the people of Israel, I, I, I'm fed up of the sound of your singing. He said, because there's no obedience. He said, there's a lot of singing, but there's not much obedience. And Jonah teaches us that actually if we're going to transform our world, then actually, truthfully, we've got to bring ourselves back into line with his word and say, you know what, I'll be obedient to what God says to me. I'll act on it. I'll take hold of it. I'll do what God's called me to do. Obedience is an action for us. We need to remember that, don't we? Thirdly, and perhaps most importantly today, it's easy to lose perspective. <laughs> Not about you, but I just find this passage incredibly funny. Jonah keeps going, I want to die. He'd gone to serve the purposes of God. I mean, it's an amazing story. He got thrown overboard, saved in the belly of a fish, spat up near Nineveh, then actually gone to Nineveh, preached a message of repentance, and everybody repented. And his answer is, I want to die. He's like the worst evangelist ever. Not only did he not want to go and preach, but when he went and preached and there was revival, he was fed up. The whole city is turning to God and he's sitting in the desert going, I hate this. I knew you were going to save these people. Why don't you just kill them? See, it's easy, friends, to lose perspective. I want you to know that when you're on a mission, when we live with a purpose for God, when we're here to transform lives, it's very easy for us to lose perspective about what God wants and what we want. And two things happen. You can see them clearly. There's probably more involved, but I've only, for the sake of time, picked up two. First of all, he got angry when he should have got prayerful. He just got angry. He was like, I've done all of this. See, sometimes we can get angry because we feel we've made a lot of effort, and other people haven't, or other people don't respond in the right way. Have you ever got angry? Honestly, I feel like the most sinful person in the world. Every time I talk up here, I talk about my emotions. You all sit there going, oh, no. That couldn't possibly be me. We never do anything wrong. I'm surprised Elam haven't sacked me for being the most. Friends, it's just true, isn't it? Sometimes we just get angry. All of a sudden, we just feel, oh, I've tried so hard. I've done all that. And people don't understand me. And people are spreading out. And we start to get angry with people. And all of a sudden, anger starts to eat us up. And our perspective changes because we forget that we're on a mission for God. And it all becomes about my feeling of anger with somebody else. See, the problem with relationships is that you can lose your connection to God because of how somebody else treats you and your response to them. And what happens is people forget that they're called to transform lives and called to be transformed themselves and they hang on to anger. And anger just builds in them and it becomes like an overflowing well of their life. And everywhere they go, they just are angry. And somebody says good morning and they go, blah, 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 blah. And it 
deeply, deeply distorts. You see, the problem with anger is it distorts the purposes of God in your life and where you are in your life. And it just starts to overflow. Paul tells us not to let the sun go down on our anger or to give the devil a foothold in your life. I want you to know, friends, if you've allowed anger to come into your life, you're in danger of letting the devil get a foothold in your life. Because it becomes bigger than the purpose of God for you. It becomes, God, you need to sort this out. No, you sort it out. Ooh. God, can you take this away? No, you repent of it. God, can you fix them? No, you fix yourself. Ooh. Doesn't sound very loving. Friends, it's a loving God who causes us to say, I'm living for your kingdom, Lord. And therefore, I won't get angry. And so the Lord comes to him and he says, is it right for you to be angry? And here is the bare-faced cheek of Jonah. Yes, it is. <laughs> he knows really he hasn't got a hope. But he goes, yes, it is. I, I, I'm angry, Lord. I'm not gonna, how can I deal with it? I just want to express my anger. Will someone listen to me be angry? Come on, we all get like that, don't we? But sometimes, friends, the truth is, anger takes us away. There's a great verse. Let me just find it somewhere in there. I think it's the book of James. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, if we let anger into our lives, see, some of us have been hurt by other people, or someone said something or done something, and there's anger in our hearts towards that. But you know what that does? It distorts us on the mission that God gives us. And all of a sudden, people can lose weeks, months, even years out of their life because anger has become the foundation of who they are. And they sit aside waiting for God to judge everybody else and forgetting that they've come under judgment because actually, if they don't judge themselves, they come under judgment. Hello. And all of a sudden, Jonah finds himself in this place where the Lord comes to him and says, what's going on? And he has to deal with the truth of what's happened to him. The second thing that happens that I think is really important is that Jonah becomes self-centered. Anger makes you very self-centered. I don't know if you've noticed. Hurt makes you self-centered. It all becomes about you. And instead of, of worrying about the purposes of God, you just worry about you. And Jonah reduces Nineveh down to his problems. And it says he went outside and built himself a shelter and sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen. And you know what he was thinking? He was thinking, come on, God. Burn him, Lord, burn him. See, sometimes when you're self-centered, you become so focused on you, you start to not really care about other people. Oh, hello. Would that be possible? Would it be possible that sometimes we can be so focused on ourselves, we forget that God has a plan to save everybody? That we're so waiting for God to sort our problems out that we're not willing to be engaged in his mission to save the world. Saying, God, if you'll only just change me, then I'll bring salvation to the world. And God's going, no, that's not how it works. Actually, I need you to be engaged even before your circumstances are changed. I need you to be concerned about the mission. I need you to be concerned about the 120,000 people of Nineveh, Jonah. What's your problem really in comparison to them? And Jonah gets distracted by his self-centeredness. He waits down to see what happens. And I love this story. It says that the Lord provided a leaf to keep him in the shade. So isn't it lovely when God gives us a leaf? Isn't it lovely when there's a little touch from God upon our lives 
And we can say, you know what, it's just so wonderful. God bless me. And I, I just know I've lived under his blessing. The problem with living under his blessing is that's where we want to stay. Remember the story of the disciples on the mountain of transfiguration. And it says, and all of a sudden, uh, the Lord was transfigured before them. And he revealed himself in white and bright light surrounded him. And then uh, Abraham and Moses or Elijah appeared beside him. And uh, Peter went, hey, this is great. Let's stay here. And who blames him? We all want to stay on that point of transfiguration, the point of revelation. But the Lord says, no, let's go down the mountain. That's why I've come. And down they go and they set the boy free at the bottom of the mountain and all the kinds of stuff. And, and so what happens is the shelter comes. And what happens is we become self-centered about where we are. And it says, and the, and the leaf made Jonah very happy. Here's the deal, friends. When we're only happy because of the leaf, we've missed out on what God has for us. When it's about the leaf and not about who God is, We've missed out on what the gospel is really all about. Because the leaf is just an addition to salvation. The leaf is just an addition to the grace of God. And I love the way that the Lord reminds him of this because he sends a worm. I don't know about you, but I've been sent a few worms in my place in my time. <laughs> worms of destruction, worms of opposition, worms of rumor and speculation. Rumor, worms are just nasty, nasty worms. And they just come and they begin to eat away and they begin to change your perspective and your atmosphere. And all of a sudden, you're just kind of like, oh, and it says, and he became very unhappy. And then he turned into, oh God, I want to die. Why? Because the worm takes away the blessing. But actually, God's purpose still stood. I just want to challenge you today. If we're going to reach a nation, if we're going to reach a city, if we're going to transform lives with the love of God, then sooner or later we have to deal with anger and self-centeredness because it can change our perspective from what God wants to do. See, Jonah had made it all about him when actually it was about the people. I want you to know that God will let you be uncomfortable to save people. He will. God will let you have challenge to bring a life giving message to other people. He will, folks. That's his plan and his purpose. And so to transform other people's lives, sometimes you'll sit under the leaf and sometimes the worm will come, but you're still called to mission. You're still called to be the people of God. And then finally this morning, people are ready to respond to the gospel. It's good news, folks. People are ready to get saved. It's an amazing story to me. When God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. The whole city repented and was saved. Wow. Oh, I thought it was good. Isn't it amazing how God saves 120,000 people? Because they respond to the word. You know, some, and this was Nineveh. This was the wicked city. This was the violent city. This was the immoral city. This was the nasty city. This was the city who nobody wanted to go. Jonah, as soon as he heard he was going there, went the other way. Why? Because it was so vile. Friends, Jesus can save the worst people in the world. And turn them around. Just look at you. Come on. If he can change you, he can change anybody. Amen? If he can turn the light on in you and you can come to hope in Christ, he can save anybody. Friends, there are people around you who you look at and say they'll never find Jesus. No, people are ready to respond to Jesus. They just need to hear the good news. How will they hear unless someone tells them? 
How lovely are the feet of those who bring good news. Come on, church, we've got to have lovely feet. Do you want me to get mine out? Mosquito-bitten feet I've got. How lovely are the... Why? Because actually, we've got to believe that people are ready. See, sometimes we convince ourselves, oh, it's a hard place. Oh, people, people don't want to hear. Friends, I know all about that. But you know what? Jesus wants to save people in our city today. But we have to have good news for them. We have to have a message of hope. We have to have a message of the grace of God, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity upon people. And as we just learn to do that, as we deal with our own issues that so often invade our lives and keep us from the purposes of God, as we deal with the anger that so often rears its head in our lives and say, you know, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. Lord, I realize that takes me away from who you've called me to be. As we deal with that self-centeredness that, that focuses just on our comfort rather than the purposes of God, then God is able to do incredible things. He's able to save a city. He's able to save people in where you work. He's able to save family. He's able to save friends. He's able to do amazing things. Why? Because people will just proclaim his word and bring life to the city around us. Salvation is for all who believe the good news. Jesus said, you say four months more to the harvest, but I say now the fields are white. See, sometimes we've got to look at people's lives and we say, oh, they're never ready. But friends, you know what? If you'll speak a word of life to people, people will get saved. If you'll tell people that God loves them and has made a way for them to know him, people will get saved. Just look at you. I tell you what, as we go around and we listen to people's stories, as we hear them week by week, as we understand them, friends, we understand we were all lost. We were all just like Nineveh, miles away from God, under his judgment, absolutely vile, lost in sin. And then Jesus spoke to us. And the light went on. We became convinced of the goodness of God and we became saved by his grace. Let's pray together. Jonah transformed a city. He understood that the nature of God is good news, that he's compassionate, and generous, and that he loves people. He took a step of obedience that led to action that changed a whole city and changed his life. Friends, sooner or later, we have to start to take steps of obedience to the Lord in the situations and circumstances of our lives that we would trust him. We've got to keep our perspective in transforming lives. We've got to deal with anger maybe or self-centeredness or maybe something else I haven't mentioned about. We've got to say, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to let that stop me from pursuing your purpose for my life. And people are ready to respond to the good news. They need to have an opportunity to hear about God's love for them. Just before we come to the close of our service this morning, maybe, maybe you're here today and maybe you're ready to respond to the good news. God loves you and has a plan for your life. He's made a way for you to know him and to come to him by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus came and died for the sins of the world, the Bible tells us, so that anybody who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's made a way for you. And so even as we come to the close of our service this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the good news. 
God has a plan for your life. Will you take hold of his good news for you? This is our heads about. I'm going to just pray a prayer of acceptance, a prayer of repentance to God and acceptance of his salvation. And if that's you, you just pray this in your heart with me today. And then we're going to respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love for me. I thank you, Lord, that even when I was lost, Lord, like the people of Nineveh, you planned a way to save my life and to bring me to yourself. And so, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. And I choose today to turn from my wicked ways and to place my life in your hands to follow you and to serve you. I come to you today with faith in who you are and what you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just as our heads are bowed, if that's you this morning, you're saying, Dave, I I do want to respond to God. I'm ready. Then just as our heads are bowed, would you just slip up your hand and say, Dave, would you pray for me? I want to get right with God this morning. Is there anybody in the house today? Thank you. Thank you. Please put your hand down. Anybody else? Father, I just pray for, Lord, those who just are open to you today. Father, who just are saying, Lord, they want to get right with you and live for you. I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you're, it's good news, Lord, that you save all who come to you. And, Lord, you teach us your ways. So, Lord, we just bless your name today. We thank you for those who, those who have responded to you. Lord, come into their lives, I pray today, Lord, and transform them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.